You're listening to the Owner Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through intelligent construction management. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Owner Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. And guess who is back? Liam Curley. Where on earth have you been, Liam? It's been weeks. You don't write. You don't call. You don't turn up, more importantly, for the podcast. And then you appear unannounced, uninvited (laughs) to this podcast. Can you tell me what you're doing here, please? I don't know how to respond to that. I was (laughs) going to say a rag and then then, shall I leave? (laughs) I thought, I thought, I thought. From talking to you off air, that you had at least been um, trialing out your best Pat Butcher impression, but clearly, I haven't even got that for us. Well, that was a Frank Butcher impression. Oh yeah. So, obviously, I went a bit oh. wrong if you thought that was Pat. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair that's enough. A, that's Pat. an off. That that is an off air impression only. I'm afraid. Okay, we'll keep we'll keep we'll keep that for ourselves. Um, yeah. How have you been, Liam? What have you been doing? Well, you. Gave me the time off, and I took it. <laughs> so I've been painting, painting the garden fence, you know that was good, and uh, um, living your best life. Yeah, that was it. It was, it was. Uh, it's looking good though. Excellent. Please, you're the uh, pride of the neighbourhood now. Well, no, like I told you before, you know, you, you keep looking at that fence, thinking, yeah, oh, that looks bad. I've got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got round to doing it. And then walking down my street the next day, the full length of the street, I'm just looking at other people's fences, thinking, God, that looks terrible, and I need to paint that. And then I realised I've been walking past their fence for the past two years and never looked at it once. No one noticed my fence. No one is going to notice my fence. I should have left it. (laughs) And should have done something decent with your time off, eh? Well, yeah, or just done another podcast, but here I am. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's great to have you back. So uh, today's episode is uh, planning focused and our expert guest is we're welcoming back David Kemp from DRK Planning, a multidisciplinary planning and development consultancy. How are you, David? How are you getting on? Uh, nice emphasis on the tagline there. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks no problem. Anything, <laughs> anything for you, David. Hi, Liam. How are you doing? All right. Hello, David. Yeah, we're all kind of all... Uh, ready and raring to go for the summer, waiting for lockdown to be lifted and hopefully get away on holiday at some I point. You were, I thought you were waiting for the next lockdown then. Dave. Yeah, thinking, we'll probably be waiting. That is what it sounded in. like, yeah. Waiting for the next lockdown, I'm looking forward to it. There's going to be another one. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't Please wait. No. <laughs> yes, here comes Freedom Day. Oh, no, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Full stop. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it, at the moment? Um, it's, it's particularly difficult as well for, you know, a lot of us doing planning applications because local authorities, um, when we were in the middle of COVID, what ha- tends to happen was we could say to councils where we had to do, some, for instance, like noise assessments and traffic and parking assessments that we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So they would pretty much just shrug their shoulders and go, you know what, okay, get on with it and we'll accept the, the results. Now we're so close to the end they're pretty much saying, well, actually, we want to see COVID of all the lockdown restrictions lifted first before you do these assessments, which is then we're kind of 
we're all ready and raring to go um, by the 21st or just after the 21st of June. And then it gets put back by a month. Uh, and then these things kind of get kicked, kicked down the road. It gets very, very complicated. And we're just trying to, it's very difficult as well for some of our clients to try to get their completion dates on their deals to match the planning and what's happening in the planning. So our timetables are shifting around all the time. So, you know, it, you know, almost on a weekly basis, it's, you know, back on the phone with a design team uh, or on a call like this with a design team. And, and, you know, it's an update on where we are with when we can do the surveys and how that's going to have a knock-on effect to essentially, ultimately, when the client can do the, can complete on their deal, if it's dependent upon planning as well. This might be a, um, might, might be a, a silly question, but is uh, things in planning particularly challenging at the moment it's not a silly question they're always challenging but i think particularly when we're doing permitted development and prior approval what we're seeing more and more of is that councils are getting a lot more resistant on even the smallest things you you go back years ago you know when i started off doing these sorts of things they usually wouldn't question too much on things like noise state noise assessments highways assessments now they're kind of throwing all the stones that, that they possibly can. You have to go into the finest detail on these sorts of things as well. So, you know, they they are tricky. And also because a lot more people are at home, then they've got more time on their hands to kind of object to our schemes and things like that. And so kind of it's where we're kind of about to lead into on this, on this talk. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I guess perhaps um, there's uh, it's even more difficult in terms of community and neighbours at the moment because everyone is actually at home and spending a lot more time at home. So that is a really good segue, David, onto what we're going to discuss today. So today's episode, I'm calling Negotiating with Neighbours. And when I think about uh, the topic that we had discussed, I always sort of the NIMBY mentality, kind of not in my backyard mentality, but I'm well aware that is oversimplifying this topic and nowhere near nuanced enough. So on that note, you wanted to talk about uh, community engagement, engaging with neighbours. So as as our expert, David, how do you do it and why is it so important? Well, how do we do it? We we try and do it as patiently as we possibly can and not lose our sanity, really, because it's, you know, you feel <laughs> as if like you're tearing your hair out trying to talk to these people. And they kind of all fall into different camps. Uh, and sometimes, you know, as I say, when they're, they're rattling around at home, uh, rather than in work, and, and you know they've got a bit more time in their hands, they're more likely to throw themselves up into being a keyboard warrior um, to the next um, application against um, uh, you know down the road from them, and you get the oddest responses. And sometimes you know you can go in with an application. And we've seen applications submitted maybe before COVID, which had hardly any objections, and then we've resubmitted those applications, almost the same, perhaps even better, much improved. And, and there's a flurry it, of issues. And, and then suddenly a flurry of objections. I mean, in one, we had about 40 objections in three days over a bank holiday weekend. And previously, there were no objections against that scheme. And actually, our scheme has improved as well. Uh, and so I think there are a few learnings that we've taken from, uh, from this. Um, and I'm not saying you have to do these neighbour objections uh, or these neighbour consultations every time. Certainly, if you're doing a permitted development or a prior approval scheme, they're a lot more legal based. They're a lot more technical based. I wouldn't ever do a neighbour consultation on those. But if you're going ultimately for a planning application, particularly if you're going to 
do some significant development on the site. Obviously, 20 or 30 units, but more so, perhaps in some cases, infill development, maybe a title split where you've got a house and you've got some backland, back garden site, or you're changing a house with extensions to HMOs by way of full planning or things like that. Then I'd say even now, it's often worth doing uh, like a soft consultation with the local uh, local residents groups. And you've got to find out who they are. You've got to find out um, who to speak to. Uh, you've obviously got to speak to the officers in any event and run a pre-act process with them as well. Uh, but I think speaking to those neighbours gives you, A, it gives you a good insight, a good sense check into how much difficulty you can expect to encounter when you go in for a planning application. Don't expect that you're going to get or be able or be capable of negotiating full agreement across the board. Neighbours, unfortunately, almost in every case, are fully paid up members of the awkward squad. They are wonderful at being able to say to you that they think it's an absolute travesty what you're proposing, but you give them half a chance to do the same thing on their own land. They'll be the first to propose it because they're greedy little buggers and they want they want to make money as well. And, you know, the, the irony is that they always say that, you know, you're all, all the same, you greedy, faceless developers and that sort of thing. So, okay, front up to them. Introduce yourself. You're not a faceless, nameless developer any longer. But when they talk about developers wanting too much or being too greedy, they often don't understand what's involved in terms of, well, you know, you've got to make a certain amount of money to make the site work. All they think of is, you know, what house prices are going for. They don't think about, you know, the build costs that are involved and how build costs are going up all the time. What the person who's selling the land is asking to be paid and all that sort of thing as well. And the irony is if they were, if they had half an opportunity to increase the value of their own property by extensions as well, then in a sense, they've turned developer overnight as well, at least on that small project, that one small project. So, you know, it, it, labels are wonderful if you want to kind of communicate your irritation, your frustration to the to the developer, but it doesn't do any doesn't do any good, really. Effectively, what you're advocating for is early engagement. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. You know, in a sense, know your enemy and perhaps know your friends as well. Know who uh, might be able to support it. It's also a good opportunity to speak to the ward councillors very early as well, because one thing winds up the ward councillors is if they have the world and his wife breathing down their necks at the next constituency surgery, complaining about your proposal, and they're thinking, well, I haven't got an answer for this because I don't know anything about it. So they get very frustrated. And then then you're much more likely to get the ward councillor involved and objecting to it as well. However, if you can get in touch with the ward councillors and you've got it in writing, you've got it on record that you've approached them, you're happy to have a meeting with them on site to walk them through the proposals. If they don't take you up on that, then fine. You've learned from that that they're actually all that, they're, not, they're not all that interested. They're not all, all that bothered by it. However, you might get one or two who say, actually, that would be a good idea. And every time I've done that, Every time, not one ward councillor, even if they thought there could be improvements to the scheme, not one ward councillor has felt hostile towards us. They've always said, thank you. 
Thank you for letting us know that you want to do this. Thank you for coming to talk to us. It makes a massive difference. And it does take us a lot of sting out of the objectors because one thing they want to do is they want to be able to uh, almost weaponize the local ward councillors against you and against your scheme. And so, so, so it's, it's relatively uh, a relatively simple thing to do is engage with the ward councillor because often other schemes won't be doing that, which will get their backs up. So it'll automatically kind of put you in a position where people are a little bit softer to your development and your exactly. scheme. And yeah. then when they're when they're at their own meetings, they're then able to say, well, I've no, I know this person, I've met them, I know what their scheme is about. And it seems like they're trying to do the right thing as opposed to you'll like, stand just out. a name. Yeah, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll stand out. I mean, it won't necessarily mean that you're going to get um, them as your next best friend and they're going to be writing in support of the scheme. But you might be able to get them to do that. I mean, we've had meetings on site with ward councillors and said, well, how do you feel about the scheme now that we've made these changes? And so we've had a, a verbal chat with them on site and then they've indicated to us, well, actually, they feel very comfortable with the proposals if we make certain changes to the scheme. And we there have then often then said, well, if we're going to make those changes to the scheme, we'd be really grateful if you would then follow up with the case officer and say, and we'll copy you in when we send those changes to the, and say, uh, you say to the, the, the case officer, actually, we have met with Mr. Kemp on site. We've discussed these proposals. We don't have any objections to them. He's a lovely uh, chap. He's a lovely chap. Um, his mother must love him. He comes across beautifully. <laughs> and I think we do as well. Let's 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 green tick this scheme. It's a, well, you know, I think one thing we can all agree on is that whatever w all of us respectively are doing in our own in our own ways to bring development and promote development uh, forward is it is a people business. It makes a difference how you are seen, how you do things. Uh, you can't always control what somebody else is going to do on the other side of the argument. But if you do things in the right way, according to a good set of values, the right set of values, and you're consistent about that and you're messaging all the way through, it really do, does help. And communication is important as well in terms of communicating the scheme, what you want to achieve, not just what the scheme does, but also what its objectives are and what, how it's trying to help the community. So the message is you've got to try and find a message within that development, which is all about how it benefits the local area. Is, is that also another reason why, why, why going to the ward councillor early, kind of understanding what are the... Um, the main issues around the site and the, and yeah, the objectives, the in, the air, and the objectives in the area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of cut, cuts through yeah. it. Exactly. And exactly. It's a very good point. Yeah, exactly. David, as well, just going back to something you raised earlier as well about obviously know your, I think you said know your enemies. And I think we could probably recognize that you've talked You've got a long them. list, haven't you, Liam? Sure, but this is not about me, Paul. <laughs> no, you've got neighbors that, you know. You, you, is you he, he's, uh, he's giving you a rough ride today, isn't he? He's, uh, I know. The message here is stop, and... stop yeah. missing podcasts. <laughs> Otherwise, I am going to give you a barrel load of abuse. You better not do it again, Lee. Um But you said, David, about finding friends, I think you said. So are there any other 
Are there any typical kind of titles or roles within the community where you, I think you said friends, but basically where you can find advocates? Yeah, it, it usually it, you, go, you don't go out searching for them. Depending upon your message, depending upon how your development is hitting the right notes in terms of meeting local objectives and solving problems on the ground, as well as achieving something that is uh, a sustainable and attractive development and looks good and contributes in some way to the local area. If you're doing that, then when you're having these conversations with people, then you'll have those people who are either neutral or those people who probably give you five minutes and then walk away and say, you know what, I've heard enough. I'm, I'm always going to object to this scheme. So, okay, you'll never make them a convert. Um, but you might find one or two people who say, you know what, actually, we think this would be good for the area. And they are sometimes prepared to put that in writing to in, e in an email to you or something like that. And you can then share that with a local authority. You know, sometimes that's how friends, I say friends, you know, inverted commas, how that can come about. We need to find uh, some some friends for Liam. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, David, I, I, I would, I would, I would definitely classify that as a friend. Yeah, <laughs> anyone who says all, 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 all the help, I, you know. whatever help you can get, basically, you'll take it from yeah. anywhere. Really. I'd yeah. say you give it. I'll take it. They said yeah. yes. That's one of my best friends. I'll take that. As a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, guys, we're going to go to a little break now, and then we'll we'll, we'll jump back into this afterwards. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor, C-Link. C-Link is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.c-link.com slash podcast to find out more. If you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that URL, don't sweat it. We've included the link in the description box for this episode. Now let's get back to the show. So I'm starting to understand why local interest is important and it makes a lot of sense. Seem to think that it's going to make things progress more quickly. Even if I put in a, it takes a bit longer to get the application in, it's going to help me progress things more quickly, theoretically, I guess, David. But how is it going to help with profitability? Is it, is it just about streamlining the process and getting out there as quickly as possible? Yeah, it, it helps in two ways. First of all, it helps to manage the risks of it being refused as against it getting approved. And certainly it might be that it would probably get approved in any event on appeal, but if you can get it approved quicker by going through just the local planning authority route rather than having to depend upon appeal, certainly you're going to be saving yourself um, at least six months down the line in any event. So that saves profit, that will help profitability because it means less time waiting to get uh, a decision which saves on holding costs and uh, means that, you know, assuming bill costs are always going up 
uh, then you know you're saving some profit in the scheme there as well. Or they're generally usually generally going up. And, and GDVs, we don't know. They're kind of flying flying around all over the place at the moment. GDVs as well. So it, it also helps with expectation management, particularly with investors. It helps in terms of credibility, etc. It will also help because in some cases, if it's if it's done well enough, and you know, a lot of luck comes into it because these are there are a lot of things that are beyond our control. They're within our influence, but beyond our control. So it may then mean the difference between whether or not you have to go to a planning committee and be in front of members. And in which case, you know, if you've been speaking to people already, then you know you can front up to members and say, you know, we've had that conversation locally already with people, or you take the sting out of their objections in a public arena where otherwise. Uh, they're all playing all sorts of games from the gallery it, during your application. Or it goes to delegated powers, which is even better. So basically, none of it never goes to committee. It's just decided by the officers, and you get it a lot quicker as well. So speed, the quicker it takes to go through, then it's great in terms of profitability because you get it, and you get it quicker. Uh, and that is the main thing as well. Uh, and speaking to people in advance also helps to do two things. In my book, they tend to be three main objectors. Those who object are because they don't understand the scheme. And therefore, what you don't understand, you just feel safe in just objecting. Those who are not familiar with the planning process, they might feel as if they understand the scheme, but they feel a little bit disenfranchised by the planning process. They feel it's all too remote. Uh, sometimes, if they get to see you and know you and possibly even like you, they might not be so hostile in their objections. What they put forward might sound a little bit more, a, bit, a little bit weaker when they put it forward to the, the officers. It might even sound more like a comment rather than an objection and they, all those sorts of things as well. And then you might be able to narrow down some common ground. You might be able to say, okay, we can do something for you in the scheme. Obviously, you depending upon the cost effectiveness of it. But it's, you know, it's showing you're prepared to do something for them. It's no skin off our nose to paint this a different color or to do something like that. But it helps with managing those relationships and you're taking them on a journey. And we often use this phrase about working with officers as well as working with third party um, objectors or people locally, taking them on that journey because then they feel as if they have some sort of buy-in to a process they might feel otherwise they're disenfranchised from, then therefore the scheme belongs to the community and not just it's a private profit-making endeavor. And that can help. And that's one thing that we're doing on a scheme in Guildford at the moment. It's been a longer gestation to go into it, but sometimes less haste is more speed. So we go into we go in with the application at a later date than we would have done if we would have just been crashing straight in. But we're hoping that will save us time and give us greater certainty at the other end. You get the approval much quicker effectively. That makes sense. And so you said there's 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 three types of uh people with their own motivations. You said one is one is someone who doesn't understand the scheme, one is someone who is potentially a little bit disenfranchised. disenfranchised from planning. Yeah. What was the third? Yeah. Uh, the ones who are just a complete buggers, quite frankly, and I'll just object to anything. I just wanted to hear you say <laughs> buggers, to be honest. But at least you've, at least you, but you've just isolated them. You know, you know mm. who you're dealing with, you see. 
you know, again, it comes back to knowing that you're not going to make everybody happy. Was it Abraham Lincoln said that you, you know, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. And, you know, it, it, development is very much like that. It's, um, you know, it's Marmite or peanut butter to some people, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so with those three characters, forgetting the third one who is just going to say no, no matter what you're proposing, because it's the nature, nature of who they are. Do you, do you have a, a playbook might be the wrong phrase, but you were talking about like with character number two, like I would, you could offer them something to make them feel more engaged as part of the scheme. So do you have with starting with number one, the person who doesn't understand? Y yeah, generally. Scheme, how do you interact well, with them? Well, generally speaking, this is why the pandemic has been very difficult for this, because normally you would hold a public exhibition or something where you would be able to walk them through the um, the scheme. We often do so now um, with leading residents association or, for instance, if it's a major institution that might object. So, for instance, the development is going on near or next to a school. Then, you know, what we've done recently is we've done this through an online chat like this, screen sharing, taking them through the plans and explaining things to them. Things come out of these conversations, such as, you know, they might be concerned that they might be overlooking off on a balcony into neighbouring gardens uh, because they see a bit of flat turf in front of a window. But then you could point out to them, actually, that wouldn't be a balcony. It's a green roof and there wouldn't be any access other than for maintenance purposes. We'd have a visual screen here or we'd have a visual screen there. And, you know, and then you can walk them around the building in that sense and you can explain things to them so at the moment a lot of this is the lack of understanding exactly but it, you know obviously done in a sensitive way you know they'll put forward their ideas and you you can say well we're happy to have a look at that but obviously we need to think about the cost of doing so but if we can't do that then we might look at doing y instead for instance we can't do x we can look at y you know at the moment it's mostly through zoom chat it's mostly through that because a lot of people are still very nervous about having face-to-face -face or meeting on site. And sometimes it's just a damn sight easier to arrange in any event. But traditionally, it's been at public exhibitions and you get people coming along, usually um, at least one evening and at least once during the daytime as well. And you might repeat it over a course of weeks as well. And you get people coming along. It's usually uh, held at a public uh, library or public hall or something like that or a council meeting room hired out from the council. And then uh, you have various exhibition boards. Uh, we, we did this uh, at a scheme in Suffolk, and we typically have four exhibition boards. The first one is about who we are, or who the, rather who the, the developer is and their experience. What is there and what the building is at the moment. So you're emphasizing all the great things about its location, all the opportunity there, but then also you're trying to show photos of the building in its worst possible light to show what I run down pigsty of a place. I was going to use another phrase, but I moderated it just in time. Uh, what a kind of run, what a rundown place it is. So, you know, so then the third slide is about, or the third banner is usually about what we're going to do and therefore how we're going to make the best of this opportunity. It's got the CGI's on it. It's all very gleaming and spanking and new and, be and, and very beautiful building as well. 
And then the fourth banner is about the next steps, what happens, where we are in the process, and how you can get in contact with us. So it tells a very logical sequence, a very logical story. And they then understand the journey, I guess. They, they understand the journey, but also there's sometimes comments, uh, sort of comment slips as well. Now, some people don't want to write on the comment slips and they don't want to leave their personal details. Um, so whenever you're having a conversation with somebody, you've got to make sure that you collect those comments and then you log them afterwards. And so then when you later regroup as a team, you can go through how, what kind of comments came up and what people tended to be most concerned about. And, and, and the public exhibition, which you're, you've just described to us, hmm. is that one of the key things that you do as part of your early engagement pre-submission? Or is that something that then happens after? Well, it's usually um, after the pre-app is done or during around the pre-app, uh, around that time. And then we might also be having a conversation. This, and this is not just with just private local neighbours. It's also finding out who the, the main residents associations are, the main conservation or amenity groups are, uh, speaking to local ward councillors, uh, getting in touch with the, the, the MP as well. The lengths to which you will go to depend very much upon the size of the scheme that you're doing. So if you're doing a small title split, you don't necessarily need to talk to the world and his wife. Certainly the local ward councillors, uh, certainly local residents, and one uh, the at least the main local residents association in the area as well. But, you know, it's sometimes worth having those conversations, even with smaller, more bespoke residents associations that might have less weight, less pull. We're doing a scheme at the moment for a client. It's a title split, so there's back garden land, um, and we've looked at putting a building, a new family home, on part of the back garden. The, we've gone through the pre-app, and we're going through it at the moment with the London Borough of Camden. They wrote to us in, ter in terms of the pre-app, and actually it wasn't very favourable, unfortunately, because uh, they have a very, very strong policy against these sorts of infill developments. However, there are a number of things about that pre-app which we've started picking holes at, and we've written back to them at length and said, well, actually, you didn't mention this report. You've commented on that uh, part of its planning history, but actually that was a misstatement. That's a misquote. And we've started picking a few holes at what they've said as well. So we're waiting to see what will come back. It's probably just going to be a complete ass-covering, face-saving exercise from them. They'll just find another way to say no. But I'm in. What, I'm in Camden. I'll do. I'll, I'll write something nice for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll give you the application details later. We also got in touch with the main local residents association. I've had a chat with the uh, the main person there directly. This is as, as well as sending a copy of the details and the proposals to the local ward councillors. They haven't come back to me, so I assume that it's on their radar, but they're not particularly interested. So local residents association, I had a chat with the chairman of the local residents association, uh, and that's kind of verbally and offline, you kind of start getting behind the details of what they're particularly concerned about. Now, we don't normally have to go any further than that. There is a smaller residents association, which is more bespoke to the actual streets around this site. So there might be several different residents association within a larger residents association. And um, I've had a chat with the chairman of that residents association 
And I've learned a couple of things from it. First of all, I learned that they're not particularly cohesive as a group. And so it might get objections, but it will be on an individual basis. So that's, that's useful to know. Uh, they're more organized in terms of organizing street parties and, thing, and putting out the bunting, but not necessarily anything more than that. And the other main thing is that you get a little bit of local knowledge as well. He told me about a very similar proposal that was granted recently on the other end of the terrace in a very similar setting as well. So he's going to send me over the, the address and the full details on that as well. So you just kind of get to feel, feel people out as well in terms of how they sit. And then they might introduce you to the immediate neighbors on either side. And then you can, then you can have a conversation with them as well. So as you um, say, it's very much, it's very much a people business. It's, it's yeah. building relationships to, to ensure that the walls don't go up and that you you as a developer or planning consultant aren't just names on paper. You're real people. You're actually explaining them your vision and uh, exactly. Exactly. It that way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. and we, we 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 touched we touched briefly on the pan, pandemic. Perhaps that that is your biggest challenge at the moment. But is there anything specifically right now? What what is your biggest challenge at the moment with your role? As I say, the pandemic is playing a lot of havoc in terms of getting reports done and trying to progress things. I'd also say that it's just generally the availability and the of officers and the workload on officers as well, and sometimes a lack of response from officers and it's not the case in all cases because some of them are very good at getting back to you or they get back to you relatively quickly online uh, and that problem is not going to go away tomorrow uh, the planning system is a broken system it needs some serious investment We've got to sort it out haven't we yeah the planning officers really need to be paid a decent salary otherwise you'll just have you just end up losing these people uh, to the private sector all the time and i think most property developers wouldn't mind having to pay a, um, a higher application fee if they would know that they would get a better service from that. I mean, you know, if you had a choice of getting a fast track service, but also a more bespoke service, a more dedicated service, and somebody's not just going to treat you like a number, then um, you don't mind paying a little bit more, more for that because you know, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's it does that resonates with everything that I hear. It's a lack of certainty over timeline that seems to drive people absolutely mad. So, in in short, when your, your biggest challenge right now is the entire planning system, we've got to rip it up and start again. No, I wouldn't rip is it up. And, I wouldn't rip it up and start again because I don't necessarily think that that's that's going to solve anything either. I think when you look at where a lot of local authorities are in terms of working on their new local plans, etc., they're a long way down the line with that. Do you want to stop? You want to stop that process halfway through or three quarters of the way through, and now tell them they've actually got to create a new set of local plan, which is what the government is suggesting that they do. If they were to tweak around that and say, "Okay, you'll finish off the um, revised local plan that you've got," so you bring your old local plans that you haven't worked on since the 1990s or early 2010s and you bring those up to date that's fine but then we have a system of zoning and some mapping where developers have a little bit more information as well to say to clearly say that's where you're encouraging higher intensity development that's where you're encouraging some regeneration and i think that that would be useful yeah excellent
no, no, no that makes that makes perfect sense well it's always a pleasure to talk to you david and um i've i've learned that of the three characters that you have that you have effectively one of them is always going to be problematic you're never going to you're never going to twist their arm so you've got to you've got to forget about those and try and try and bring through conversation early engagement the other two along to the party and most importantly we we've, we've learned that there is friends out there for Liam to capture we've just got to, we've got to find them and identify them and he can have some friends that's what we need it's just a pe- it's just a people business Liam that's all it is yeah sorry Paul's been lying to me all this time <laughs> so keep yourself to yourself is he, is he, te- is he been telling you you've got no friends to reach out for yeah you got no friends <laughs> look I'm just I'm no stating facts <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, uh, David, that's that's really, really good. Really understand uh, the topic much better. You've actually, for a- anyone listening, you've written a uh, really interesting piece in uh, the Property Investors News, which is on a, on a similar topic. So I suggest everyone checks that out. We'll be popping um, your uh, David's details and DRK's details in the episode description. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much everything, everything for today. So uh, thanks very much for coming in, uh, David. And uh, we'll see you soon, I hope. My pleasure. Great to speak to you guys as always. See you, David. Lovely stuff. See you later, Liam. I'll see you next week, will I? Well, see you. Well, I can't can't (laughs) make that promise. See you, Paul. No promises here. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.